Hello and welcome back to the Cock and Ball podcast, uh, a weekly look at all things Spurs in the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. That's if you stop throwing things at your television set. My name's Tom, aka Fenn. Uh, once again, we've got a full quartet tonight. We've got Steve Malbronk, spitting image. We've got Ashley. How's it going? Um, with Pep's hairline, we've got Jules. <laughs> oh, you cruel, cruel bastard. You're right, mate. Uh, and keeping us all safe from the dangers of libelous lawsuits and telling us to cycle within the confines of the highway code. It's Jamie Summers. <laughs> Evening, gents. <laughs> Straight in at the deep end. As you may have heard, Spurs took on Newcastle on Sunday, and you may be aware of the uh, one-all draw that followed. Jim, being the non-sensitive resident, non-Spurs supporter that he is, decided it was appropriate to only leave it nine minutes before reminding us <laughs> that his score prediction from last week of a score draw was correct. Uh, I don't think <laughs> this is really how we envisaged it. And Jose had won 100% of his games at home against Newcastle, which in true Spursy fashion we typically ruined. But Jules, was this not the best that we've played under Jose Mourinho in a long time, despite the result? Yeah, I was delighted with it in terms of the, the performance. I thought we, we looked much more progressive. We had a better shape. Um, we, we, had, we created far more chances than usual, you know, frustrations in terms of what what ended up happening but yeah in terms of kind of the the progress in terms of performance yeah I was actually pretty happy with that maybe I'm being a bit too positive but that was how I felt. Well Ash I haven't seen you sob this month since the last time you did a at karaoke um, <laughs> what was your how are you feeling? It's hard to disagree with George but at the same time trying to find a positive in a 1-1 draw at home to Newcastle is difficult we did definitely play much better than we did for the majority of the game at Southampton. We didn't seem to have the same clinical finishing that we had in that game. Um, obviously, we hit the post a couple of times and the crossbar. It just didn't seem to be going in. You mentioned true Spursy fashion earlier, and I think that seems to be the same thing where goalkeeper just turns into prime Buffon for one game in their career. It's always against Tottenham, isn't it? Um, yeah, so the, the performance is something to be proud of I suppose it's, it's a way forward we looked a lot better on the ball we created a lot more chances but ultimately we didn't we didn't put them away and we, we we let ourselves get punished I was going to say I sort of think with with these kinds of things sometimes a kicking the teeth like that in, in football just happens and I'd be inclined to look at the positives actually and feel quite positive about that game the intensity uh, that Spurs showed particularly in the first few minutes was, was really really positive and um you know, you're always going to get that sucker punch, last minute goal, should it, shouldn't it, etc. But when you've got, like Southampton last week, you had that situation where incredibly clinical and a lot of chances end up uh, in the back of the net. And then this week, kind of the flip side, where a little bit more wasteful, not as not as clinical in front of goal, but that's just the kind of rough and tumble of the game. And I'd always take a good performance is the best sign of things going in the right direction. So I think I think it's kind of okay, really. I'll, I'll try and say this for you, Ash. One of my favourite uh, tennis players is Andre Agassi. And he used to say that there are five days a year you can't miss and you just win just because you're, you're hitting it perfectly. There's five days a year when you can't win because you'll just hit everything wrong and it's all going to go go to pot. It's all the other days in the middle that, that count and that define how, how well you go. We when we beat City 2-0 last year, that was absolutely ludicrous. People never deserved that game, but we somehow got it. 
And there's going to be days when it goes like that, and there's going to be days when we can't seem to score despite creating everything. But yeah, like, like Jim says, if, if the process is in place and the creativity's there, then yeah, I think we should be trying to look on the brighter side of life. Yeah, and obviously we've still got game-changing players in Reguillon and Bale to come back. So if we had a Bale to come on in the game, or if we could start with a Bale over Lucas Moura, who we've all made our feelings very clear about, then you can see how these games where we might, even if we're not playing particularly well, but they're tightly poised, a player like Bale might be able to make the difference with just a moment of absolute brilliance, which is kind of what we lacked today. We we needed something, but you can see you can see the improvement there. We were pressing far more than I've seen us press under Jose Mourinho. We had a midfielder actually kept its shape. I think Davies has had a kick up the arse with Reguilón coming in and actually trying to join the attack. It's just a shame he can't really do anything once he gets past the halfway line. <laughs> I've never seen a left back pass it backwards so much. But like every time he advances, it's like watching someone who's really nervous of meeting girls at the school disco and they kind of think about it and they're getting closer and then they kind of do the U-turn and get their phone out of their pocket. Like I feel like that is basically Ben Davies playing football. Fem, what did you what did how did you feel about it all? Were you quite positive or do you feel a bit shit? I mean, yeah, I'd love to be positive about the way we played. And I think we feel so shit about it because we look so much the better team and that's more generally speaking, not just limited to the 90 minute. So it's always going to be more gutting. It's always going to be two points lost. But, you know, we're, still, we're only three games in. It's early doors. Like Jim put it quite well, we're kind of setting our sights for where we want to be. And thankfully, it looks like we're trying to set those sights without Lucas Moura, who seems to, uh, we have a lot of opinions of, which without dedicating a whole podcast to it, can you actually summarise, Jules, how, how you feel about Lucas Moore and what it is that really offends you? I think he's just infuriating because you feel like he should be good and he's so consistently shit. And it, it took literally a few seconds of me typing that text out on our WhatsApp chat for Lucas Moore to inevitably score our goal today. So that's, that's, you know, that's karma slapping me right in the face. And, you know, him scoring was about as offensive to me as Andy Carroll's mutton chops, a.k.a. Very. So, I don't know, on the set, kind of, what, what made me happy? No, he's just, he's, you feel like he should be good, and for some reason he's not. He chases his touch around the pitch a lot, and he very rarely gets end products. Yeah, that'd be my kind of central issue. Yeah, it was harder for him to miss uh, that chance in fairness to him. Uh, <laughs> he hasn't actually scored in a long, long time in the Premier League, so it, it should do him a lot of favours. I know uh, Ashley called me out on the team WhatsApp group when I talked about some of the tactical approach of do you choose Moira over Stevie B, old Bergvine, who did come on and was, in my opinion, ineffective. And my opinion is, to summarise it, Moira is a technical player, Bergvine is a pure pace player. Bergvine needs space to run into to really, really effective. He can't do that against a team that sits deep. So, in theory, Moira should be starting these games. But as we've said, he clearly lacks the ability to, to play at his maximum potential. And I think that probably does hamper it a bit, but he does work hard, which is nice. Something that really holds him back is his decision-making. So, he doesn't ever seem to make the right choice of when to make the run when to try and take on the defender one against one, which he should be doing so much more often than he is with the pace he's got and the, even the dribble ability. He can show in tight spaces that he can keep the ball whilst running at pace. 
he just seems to make the wrong choice. He doesn't use, he doesn't particularly make helpful runs. He doesn't make space for other forwards. Whereas Bergwijn, you can see a bit more. He he starts out wide, and will come inside uh, much later, which will which will open up the space and open up the passing avenue, which Lucas Moura just doesn't do. And I'm surprised, Ben, that you think Bergwijn is is purely pace because Bergwijn was known known when he was at PSV that um, he played at ten quite a lot. So he, you know, Bergwijn, if anything, has got a got a better sort of track record of having been able to display some technical sort of and, and spatial awareness. But Lucas, for me, is very one dimensional. I think a bit sort of like Ash, he just picks it up and he's just going to put his head down and sprint to just try and get through challenges. The only other player I'd like to have a I'd like to have a mention of would be Tongi Ndombele, who Fen, I don't think you were particularly you, you didn't feel like he changed the game coming off the bench, but I felt he was the only player who who beat a man. He only came on in the 60th minute. He, he had a couple of lovely little flicks around the corner and some some actual inventive play, and I feel yeah, like he's he was, the only one who will, who will give us that. He was inventive, and I obviously love that about his game. And it's it's not a criticism of him when I say he doesn't change the game in this instance he needs the players around him to react and today in the final 15 they weren't and you kind of think that if we were to tighten the screw with him coming on and everyone else was to switch on and Bergwijn was going to be actually able to finish then we might have had a different ending. Mm. I think he deserves a lot of credit for turnaround he's done. You can see when he came on the runs he was making as well as what he was doing on the ball so he was he was tracking back to help the defence, but he was also making the runs out onto the left wing when the space was there, or he was picking up the little spaces in the middle. When we didn't see that before, we we didn't see that last season. He was generally just jogging around the centre circle somewhere. Yeah, and the, I think it was my my brother who texted me once and said, "And looks like a player who's got feet, but he looks like he's wearing like um like a bum bag underneath his underneath his shirt." <laughs> and there's just that added, like, it's just like he's wearing like a weighted vest or something in addition just to slow himself down um, and thankfully that seems to have been you know addressed a little bit uh, even now he's got really heavy tits the way he leans forwards when he runs <laughs> <laughs> I also need to issue um, a public apology to the pub that I was watching again <laughs> I was in the, the West House pub in Gypsy Hill and I essentially stormed out of there. And it was one of those where I had a lovely roast and a couple of pints. And you know the way it is at the moment. And people are hard up. And they'd left. The service was really good. They left a nice little note saying thank you on the receipt. And they, they'd sort of drawn our attention to service is not included. And so I thought, yeah, give them a couple of quid. But <laughs> then a certain incident happened. Uh, and I was too busy frothing at the mouth to actually be able to, to issue any form of thank you to them. So to that pub, it is a good pub, go down there and support them uh, if you're in the Gypsy Hill area. And it's my fault that they put the game on because I told them to put it on. <laughs> I, I had the end of my match at the same moment that my girlfriend was on the phone to Virgin complaining about their con- the contract issue that we seem to be having at the moment. So I promptly muted the TV when the penalty was given, refused to watch the end of the game. <laughs> gave Virgin an absolute earful of abuse. So <laughs> I also apologise to the poor poor Virgin employee who got his ear chewed off because Eric Dyer gave away a penalty. As a result of what happened, which has been wildly speculated, and we can't go into it because we're limited on time, 
you know, we're already almost at Bruce Grove on our leisurely walk between Seven Sisters and White Hart Lane. Let's agree on a, an official podge position on the absolute state of the handball. Like, what is our stance going to be? It's the law, but that doesn't mean that it's not bullshit. They're more like guidelines than actual rules. <laughs> Only they were more like guidelines. Here's, here's my, my reading of it, Ash. The law is the law, and it's not the ref's fault for, for, for how it's written. I think everyone would agree it's stupid and it should be changed. I think it will end up getting changed, but that will be the end of the season. So there's no more point talking about it because we've just got to grin and bear it, recognise sometimes it'll happen to us, sometimes it'll happen to other teams. On this occasion, as I said to you when we were chatting about it, personally, I, I just wish we had got on the two-goal cushion. So if you had the two-goal cushion, then that's probably not such a problem. But we, we, we left ourselves open to it. We gave them the opportunity to punish us. We had so much of the ball. We created a lot of chances, a lot of good chances as well, particularly in the first half. If we'd put two or three of them away, then this wouldn't even be that big of an issue in the same way the Doherty one wasn't that big of an issue against Southampton. Yeah. We need to be able to kill games. We shouldn't be relying on 1-0 without anything bad happening. Because even even if even if it wasn't a penalty, we're going 1-0 into the 90-whatever minute and they've got a set piece and they've got Carroll and Joe Linton and their centre-backs up, there's always a risk that they're going to score without the need of a dodgy, dodgy rule. Agree. And with that, Fen, we've got three pretty huge games this week. Which one do you want to talk about first? Let's do them in chronological order as they come, shall we? In a crazy, crazy week, we've got Chelsea on Tuesday in the EFL Cup. What we're kind of relying on again this week is some sort of club sabotage. Uh, <laughs> hopefully that, that we can try and uh, manipulate a cholera outbreak or something in the Chelsea training ground and actually get another bye. But what, what sort of team, Ash, do you think we can actually realistically expect us to put out? A very, very different team. Especially, I think we would have seen Bergwijn from the start, but now I'm hesitant to say that because Son looks like he's got a serious injury, uh, might keep him out for a long time, according to the reports. So we're likely to see the likes of Sessegnon and Jedson and maybe other people that we're trying to put in the shop window, like Aurier, maybe even Carter Vickers. It's not going to be... Essentially, a competition that we're going to throw away because it's the least prodigious of the ones we're still in. I actually think, Ash, maybe we might end up playing quite a good team on Tuesday and playing almost the, the alternative 11 on Thursday. Because bear in mind, at least on Tuesday, uh, you're, you're playing in London and the, the Sunday game is Manchester. But whoever plays on Thursday has got to fly <laughs> to Maccabee Haifa, which is not exactly an easy... <laughs> an easy sort of trip there, play the match, come back, deal with jet lag. So I feel like he might ask players to play through the pain barrier on Tuesday and actually take a swing because also extra time plays into Jose's hands. Jim, as you're here, what is a Maccabee high for? <laughs> Have yeah. you got any a bit more homework for us to tell us who our position is on Thursday? The only thing of any kind of interest about them is this thing with the player um, Abu Fani. Make your own mind up about that one. Um, <laughs> Grow up. Who was caught on uh, caught on camera the other day being very rude about the Lord and Saviour Harry Kane. Uh, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up. But um, yeah, no, they they they've seemed to have started the season there quite well. They're top of the league, and um, they've never really done much in European competition. And I can't imagine they'll do much this week either. Uh, <laughs> So, Jim, do you think 
Fanny will be played wide or wider or narrow in this occasion. <laughs> Fanny's got a wide on. <laughs> if I can keep a straight face long enough, I honestly don't know how the what the best method is for deploying Fanny. So um... <laughs> that explains so much. <laughs> all ev- all evidence to the positive on that front. Um, Ash. I can't say I agree with you, Jules. Before on, Ash comes in. Um, I think he'll prioritise the European competition because he's talked about it too much, probably, beforehand, about how important it is. And it's really bad if we don't qualify for the group stage. I don't think he'll take the risk. I suppose the one thing is, if you were to look at our reserve team playing him out against Chelsea, you've still got players like Deli Ali, who are still going to come in. Alderweireld will come in at the back. Rotation chance to get someone like Lamella in. So will it be, you know, one of our... One of our best lineups, probably not, but you never know. Maybe Chelsea will be a bit all over the place as well. Um, they had a bit of a weird, uh, weird game yesterday with that three-all draw. So you know, I'm I'm not sure Tim Sherwood with A levels will know exactly which which lineup <laughs> puts out. I don't think Frank Lampard is in a position where he can throw away any tournaments. He a lot of pressure at a club that demands a lot. He's expected to win every competition they're in. If we're being honest. He's, he's obviously had a year. He's spent a lot of money. They're, they'll be coming back off that result against West Brom with something to prove. I can't see them taking risks. They're going to put out a very strong team, probably knowing that we won't. And I can't see us getting anything out of it. I think it would be very Spursy as well. <laughs> we talked about it last week. I think you mentioned it, Ash, that it's very much Spursy to turn another team's uh, problems around, which we kind of did for Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> And it would be good to do it for Chelsea. Well, it wouldn't, but I could see it happening. Uh, same again for United. Torrid form, albeit winning somehow uh, this weekend, <laughs> probably by bending the rules slightly because the game had actually finished. <laughs> but is it? are we going to see another case, Jules, where <laughs> we're actually going to turn their problems around? For United, I don't think so, because I think their problems lie in Solskjaer losing his job ideally and being probably replaced by Poch and given I think United will beat us that will give Solskjaer a better chance of staying in the role I do think though they <laughs> I know I, I'm terrified of that United team if you look at the the kind of forward pace and talent they've got I do not like like the the idea of Martial and Rashford and much to his sort of as, as much as we hate him Bruno Fernandes the idea of them running it our back line is quite scary right now. For that exact reason, we have to go with an attacking outlook because they can't defend for Toffee. If we <laughs> if we try and sit back and hope that Pogba or Fernandez doesn't come up with something magic or if Rashford or Martial can't find a net, we're going to become unstuck like we did towards the end of the last campaign, albeit through a, um, a questionable penalty. But we, we need to go at them. If we, if, we, if we take control of the ball, if we're looking to get in behind, which is what they're most susceptible to, I can see Kane dropping deep and hopefully playing a similar way to we did against Southampton. We're trying to get the ball in behind the centre-halves. Then I can see us doing a lot of damage. Problem with that is we need Son to do that running ahead of him. And Son's probably not going to be there. And it might be a return to Toby hitting the channels for Lucas Moura to go for the flick-on, depressingly. So I don't know. But I think, I mean, the one interesting thing is a friend of mine who I apologise is actually a Chelsea fan. He said to me when we when we got Mourinho and his manager, he said 
the one thing is when you get Jose in is that you, you should start to look forward to big games because you know that he'll have it sussed out for, for an opponent. So this would be a great week for Jose. to if, if we manage to somehow stay in the cup and, I don't know, get a point against United, I'd, I'd feel pretty great sat, sat for this podcast this time next week. That leaves you, Tom. What scares you most about United? <laughs> well, probably the fact that our defenders have arms scares me the most about United. Um, <laughs> the inevitable situation that they will get a penalty. Maybe we can limit that by just amputating a lot of people. But we looked really disciplined against Newcastle, in fairness. I mean, I appreciate the reason. I don't recall him having to make a save, but we're starting to look a bit more comfortable and despite what some people on Twitter might say, I really like Clarkerton. I think he's he's really solid and a good attacking outlet as well. If Reguilon can come in and make an impact, and I think we will see him this week, suddenly that back four doesn't look too bad with Hoybier protecting it. And that fills me with a lot more confidence because you can't give away penalties if the opposition can't get in the box. I like the idea. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to see how it... Dare to dream. There's two players we have to marshal... And if we can stop Pogba and Fernandez having space and time to pick out passes, then I, I think we have a good chance of keeping them out and, and controlling the game, similar to how Everton played against us, where they, they, they completely stifled our, our midfield. Um, obviously, Rashford and Martial, they're great in getting in behind and they can take a player on one-to-one, but they, they need that service. They thrive on the passes they get from Pogba and Fernandez. So really, we need to stick someone on each of those two and just marshal them out of the game. It's pronounced Martial. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. All right, score predictions. What are we thinking for United? I'm going to go with a 3-1 loss. <laughs> Pessimistic Jules is back. It's the people's <laughs> favourite. I don't know. I see an improvement again. But at the end of a busy week, I'm going to say another 1-1. I think... Given our misfortune, to say the least, I think the equilibrium should be fixed by next weekend. I can see us nicking a two-one win on the road. And and Fen, what would you, you know, if you if I could tell you you've got a win, a draw, and a loss to give out in normal time in these three games this this week, what would you most like to see? What would be your preferred output? For me, the must-win is Europa League. We've, we've got to be in the group stages uh, of a European competition. Otherwise, what's the point, really? I'd take the loss at Chelsea. That is the least priority. And that just leaves a draw for United, but I had the logic. Ash? We, we have to be in European competition if we have any ambition. It's going to be a very difficult year to try and get into the top four. Most clubs around us have had made significant improvement, as have we. But... We need that extra route to try and get into the Champions League. And it's a trophy at the end of the day that we have a, a genuine chance of winning. So we've got to prioritise that. Carabao Cup, I couldn't really give two shits about, to be honest. So I'll take <laughs> the loss there and take the draw at United. Jules, any disagreement? No, I think for me, I'd probably follow, follow your audio and your logic there. I think Europa League financially is really important for us at the moment. EFL Cup, even if you win it, it, you know, it doesn't feel that special. So it's probably one to to not kind of worry about. The thing that I'd love to see, I'd love to see Reguilon get involved and kind of get involved in the squad. Did either of you see his uh, his initiation song on Instagram? He's got an unbelievable little little number. It's pro- proper class, that. I was impressed. I mean, it's good to see man. someone not doing Stand By Me, isn't it? Because 
That's the go-to. <laughs> everyone does that. It's dead. But literally shouting at someone else in a chair, but it's everyone does that. So it's nice to see him do something completely different. Ash, what would be your initiation song for this pod when we inevitably meet in a pub and stand on chairs and paint the ceiling blue with our language? That is a bloody good question. I think just because Tom brought it up earlier, it has to be an Adele song, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see you crooning out Rolling in the Deep. Oh, easy. What about you, Fen? Oh, Tom, I mean, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, Oh, What a Night, I think is one of the all-time greats. Uh, probably quite a few numbers by Simply Red I could do, not just by look, but also by voice. But it would be, it could be emotional. It could be emotional. And I don't know if everyone's ready for that. Well, I know you've done a few duels, and I, I hope it's not Stand By Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'd probably go with something like Hey Soul Sister, something a bit of that kind of, that kind of vibe. I feel like you need you need something you can just belt out and recognise. It's not going to sound great, but people will get involved. Those are the important things for a football initiation song. I'm disappointed that nobody's gone with Can't Smile Without You. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. But what I'd love to see is someone do something really off the wall like the Scissor Sisters. I'd love to see someone do something absolutely bonkers. Do you know do you know what? And I here's my suggestion. If the one listener out there who's actually getting in touch with the show every now and then, if he has four songs nominated, which he's willing to, to send through, we will do those four songs and we'll pick them out of the hat as to who has to sing what um, at, our, at our sort of initiation for the pod. Well, I don't know how um, a lot of pubs have been in a band singing because it's not very socially distancing because uh, you just spit everywhere. Unless you do it in masks. That's, that's the way around it. Be like the Blue Man group. <laughs> What do, you, what do you think would be Jim's song, Fen? Ooh, I mean, stereotype suggests it's going to be something like, you know, I'm, I'm mad for it, yeah. I'm a rock and roll star. But he likes the Black Keys, actually. He'll probably pull out some sort of indie ballad or probably something by Queen. <laughs> I feel like, I don't actually know his music taste particularly well. Toto's Africa, I think he'd murder in a good way Come on Eileen would be a great one to hear him do mm. I've heard that drunk in clubs before um, <laughs> cheeky little Sam Smith number didn't you two boys used to go to school with him maybe there's a little Sam Smith number that can go into the hat well, I was briefly his drummer it's my only claim to fame um, <laughs> apart from briefly touching Matt Branning's hand at an ice rink I worked at once but <laughs> maybe we could get him involved or just throw out one of his numbers beautiful Have we one got thing any? we haven't talked about actually Go on. Is, um, I was going to do a bit on Shriniar. Go on. Go on, Ash. What do you know about Shriniar? We were up to probably Conte's arrival at Inter. Shriniar was being hyped up as one of the best centre-backs in Europe. He was being linked with the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona and PSG. Everybody, everybody wanted him, but at that time, Inter had absolutely no interest in letting him go. So he's, he's a very well-rounded centre-half. You'll see him on the ball, coming out. He's got a... Seriously high take on success. He likes to he likes to commit the man before moving the ball on. He's comfortable on the left-hand side, which is something that we've seriously lacked in, in centre-back since Jan Vertonghen's decline. And he, he'll play the ball short or long. He's, he's fantastic at his passing. He's, he, he, he looks a lot taller than he actually is as well. It's bizarre. He's, he's sort of... Uh, he's, a, he's a bit of a lanky, but he, he's very good at, at winning in the year. He wins more than he doesn't. And... 
he um, he's not really drawn into the last-ditch tackles, so his highlight reel might not look incredible, and he's not scoring as many goals as some centre-halves are, but he's generally very well-rounded centre-half. He will start into that left-sided centre-back that we've been lucky for some time. And you, would you be excited for him, Fen, or are you a little bit uh, indifferent? Well, I see some uh, armchair supporters who sit on Twitter saying that oh, all he does is make sit on the bench for Inter and occasionally turn up. But he still made 40 appearances for them last season. And you're right, he, he isn't a goal threat. He hasn't scored in about two seasons. But he's 25, and that's for me, is a really good age for a centre-back. For me, centre-backs come into their prime in their, their late 20s. So I think it's probably a good time to buy him. And realistically, the only other option we were looking at was Ruben Diaz, who's <laughs> looking at the state of Man City's defence after their <laughs> performance against Leicester. Uh, I think it's pretty much now done that he probably end up at City, which leaves us with just Sriniar to buy, which would be an absolutely perfect long-term replacement for Amber Tonga. No, I like I like the idea of him a lot. I think he's a he, he looks like a brilliant centre half for me. Um, but if I was, you know, Daniel Levy's PA, which who knows, maybe in twenty five years I'd be qualified to be, um, <laughs> then uh, I'd be asking him more about the players he's getting out of the club than the players he's getting in. You know, I'd love for us to to get him in, but we need to ship on Aurier. Foyt still has a future to be resolved. Carter Vickers, I don't see him making the first team grade with us. Danny Rose is still at the club and was barred entry from our own ground the other day. And we've got, you know, Jack Clark. Don't know if he's going to actually get game time or not. I think we've got we've got more people we need to get out the door before we can think about bringing others in. We do need the money as well as need the space in the team particularly with Skriniar coming in and needing to take another foreign player spot. So that's, like you said, the Foyt or the Aurier need to go. It's it's a gaping hole in our team that we need sorted. Either, I'd argue even more so now than a second centre-forward because we, with the introduction of Bale, he's more than able in that position than Lucas were or Bergwijn were. And we don't want to be drawn into being desperate sales. If a team knows that we need to sell because we've already brought someone in, the prices that we'd get for him won't be as, as great. Well, I can see it going deep into the window that if we do sign a second striker, I think it will be in the last day or two, probably on a little bit of a cut price deal. People talk about Milik the most. I don't know about you, Jules. Who is your ideal backup striker that we could have at Spurs? Uh, Ollie Watkins, but he's already gone somewhere else. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> After I, my, my biggest worry is we talk about the transfer window like there's a lot of time left. It closes a week tomorrow, so it's yeah. it's not uh, you know there's there's a lot that goes into a transfer, and there's a few to get get out before we can think about bringing people in. I'd love Milik, but I I don't think he'll end up going. He seems also quite keen. There's a weird transfer roundabout going on in Italy where Milik would go to Roma to facilitate Jeco going to Juve, and then Napoli were going to buy someone else, but the Napoli president has rather hilariously been doing all this as a ploy to try and jam jam up the systems of other clubs. I don't know. I I think the biggest thing for us is to get players out the door because I think it you can't afford to have people sitting around not getting game time. And that's how we quite often allow players to sort of deprecate in value. So that'd be more my my focus with with one week to go. Thanks for tuning in uh, for another week of the Cock and Ball podcast. Uh, of course we'll be back next week. Don't know what mood we'll be in, but hopefully a better one than today. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, Cock and Ball underscore podcast, and we are somewhere on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page. 
probably harassing your support group page as we speak. Uh, so thanks for coming. See you next time.